Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. I'm your host, Vincent Chen, and it's Thursday, April 13th, and we are pre-recording for next Tuesday. Helping me with that is Fool.com contributor Seth McNew, who is calling in via Skype from San Francisco. Hey, Seth, welcome back. Hey, thanks a lot, Vince. It's great to be back. So, last time you were on the show, uh, we looked at developments in the video game industry, and in just the two weeks or so since we talked, there have been some updates that I actually wanted to discuss before we d- dive into the main part of this episode. So, first, there's the Switch. Um, so, this is the newest video game console from Nintendo that was originally unveiled last October and made its official debut on March 3rd. In those six weeks on the market, the Switch continues to fly off store shelves. And if you go to the official Nintendo Switch product page online, they have links to their retail partners where you should technically be able to buy one of these consoles. I actually checked all six of them. Best Buy, GameStop, Target, Walmart, and Toys R Us. And can you guess, Seth, whether or not I was able to find a Switch available at those I would say uh, I'd say probably not. But if you're looking on places like eBay, uh, you can definitely get one if you're willing to pay a little bit of a premium. Yes, exactly. So Amazon was also one of the partners, uh, and it is available only from third-party sellers, from not from Mm -hmm. Amazon itself, and they're charging a premium, like you said, in the face of such high demand. So buyers can expect to pay at least three hundred and sixty dollars or so. When uh, you have to keep in mind the Switch's official MSRP is just two ninety nine, and I got curious. I did go to eBay actually uh, to see what people had been willing to pony up to get their hands on one of these consoles, and more recent listings are similarly going for around four hundred bucks. And I actually found in the initial weeks after the release, when I think the frenzy was really building up and people just had to get their hands on one, uh, there are some listings for. Uh, devices being sold for the Switch console being sold for well over a thousand dollars. So absurd. pretty incredible, and all this incredible hype uh, kind of bears out, I think, in sales for the console in terms of the numbers that we've seen. There's a report from DigiTimes uh, that said, based on estimates from Nintendo supply chain partners, the company could end up shipping as many as 20 million units in its first year. And then looking out further, the president of Nintendo sees a lifetime total for the console of potentially 110 million units, which would far eclipse the previous generation Wii U. So Seth, our biggest- 110 million units, but uh, you know, we don't know how long it's going to take for them to actually produce that many. At this rate, it could be a few uh, years before yeah, they're able, able to get that out. Yeah, it'll take several years for them to even get that number. And you know, I, I, right recently, they doubled their production estimate, uh, or their shipping Estimate from eight to sixty million. I think that's gone up again to potentially this twenty million number that we're seeing. But our biggest concern last episode, in addition to this, uh, their inability kind of to meet some of this demand uh, with every store, as we discussed, being sold out. Uh, there was also a concern about a relative lack of top tier game titles. But sure. with these kinds of forecasts, I have to imagine at this point the developers are are getting pretty excited about tapping into this corner kind of, of the console market. Um, what do you think? Is there, is that something that, you know, with these kinds of numbers, do you think people, especially third-party developers, are perking up the ears and thinking to themselves like, "Hey, we, it's time for us to get in on this." Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, it, it, you're right that that when Switch came out, it had such a, a lean uh, amount of titles that kind of came with it. They've already announced some pretty interesting new titles. You know, Mario Kart's coming out this week or this month, which is going to be a, a hit, I'm sure, and then other games like Minecraft. Uh, Ubisoft has talked about Monopoly's coming out soon. So you kind of have these these very classic games, Pac-Man, that you'd expect 
for this kind of console. But you have some new franchises as well that are coming out, some different sports games. Uh, and then I think it lends itself well to some other competitions. They talked about a Mario Kart competition, but as we talked about last time I was here with eSports, you know, this kind of mobile gaming just seems like such an easy way to kind of get into that online competitive space. So I would imagine a lot of third-party uh, developers are pretty interested in that aspect. Yeah, and I think Nintendo has also kind of done its part with this specific console better the, uh, a better job than they did with the Wii U, is that is making the platform more attractive to third-party sure. developers. You know, they're supporting common game engines that make it easier to create uh, the games and the titles for the console. And something that might even be more important, you mentioned the eSports, but there's also this online gaming element. Um, and the company's announced that there will be an online gaming platform for the Switch that will launch later this year. I think te- our initial testing has already started. And like its biggest competitors, Nintendo will actually start charging players for access to this service. So that adds another income stream on one hand. And on the other hand, I think game developers will be attracted because you know you want a robust online player base for additional opportunities to monetize their titles. You know, you th- look at Activision Blizzard, Electronic Arts, they're making 60-75% of their sales digitally. And you know, it becomes very clear how important getting this online platform right will be for Nintendo. But moving on, uh, also making waves I think recently in this space was Microsoft so, the tech giant released some additional details for its project Scorpio. The official reveal will happen at the Electronic Entertainment Expo in June. But the gist of it is you get more powerful hardware, better graphics, 4K compatibility, and support for virtual reality headsets. And as we discussed a little bit, Seth, on the last show, titles will be compatible across the Xbox One, the Xbox One S, and the Scorpio. So, game developers will be in a very favorable position where they can work on one title and tap into bigger player bases than they have in the past. Uh, and now for our main uh, discussion topic for this episode. Uh, it's gaming-related, but we're talking about roulette, blackjack, and background kind of gaming. So Macau, which is the special administrative region in China, which also happens to be the most densely populated region in the world, has been the gambling capital for over a decade. Uh, but following a government crackdown on corruption and money laundering in the region, plus an economic slowdown, Macau suffered huge declines to its gaming industry starting in 2014. I think for 26 months straight, the market reported declines uh, year over year in gaming revenue. So Macau peaked in 2013 at over $45 billion, and by 2016, it had shrunk 40% to about $28 billion. But is there a light coming over the horizon? What are investors seeing now, Seth, broadly for this market? Yeah, and I think to put some of those numbers in perspective, you got to imagine that 2013 numbers. I mean, you're talking seven times as much gaming revenue as Las Vegas. Yeah. So even even now, this last year when they had faced so many months of decline, we're still talking three times as much revenue as Las Vegas. So this is certainly a massive part of the gaming industry still. And now it looks like it's regrowing again. So in March, we had total gaming revenue grew 18% over March of last year. So it looks like this trend that we've seen since last August that every month it's getting a little bit better is now really starting to show some pretty substantial growth. Yeah, there have officially been eight straight months of growth now. And I think in the beginning of the year, people were still kind of skittish, not sure if this was really building out into something you could call a trend. But February and March saw revenue up about 18% year over year. And so it seems like that momentum is really picking up in their favor. but let's turn our attention now to the major casino operators then, who uh, who are based in Macau or have significant business there. Who do you want to start with, Seth? So there's really four operators that make sense for investors to be watching. 
the one that's kind of been the best performing so far this year is definitely Wynn Resorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wynn had their new their new massive Wynn Palace Resort opened last year, last August, which worked out well with kind of you know the first month that Macau's really showed some positive signs of turning around. Probably helped out by the new resort by Wynn. Uh, and in, in 2016, Wynn really posted some pretty substantial growth in earnings. So if this resort works out pretty well for them in 2017, we should see that growth continue. Yep. And you know, when, uh, for this company, when 64% or so of their revenue is based in this region, um, so obviously an important market for them, really exciting, I think, with the newest resort but that they opened last year. But they're not the only ones. Las Vegas Sands, uh, about oh, I think over half of their revenue also is based in this region. Uh, they opened the Parisian. Uh, what's going on with them? Yeah, that's true. So Las Vegas Sands as well opened their new resort just a couple months after when. Uh, you're right. Las, Ve- Las Vegas Sands is by far the dominating force in Macau right now. Uh, Wynn has kind of doubled its own presence there, but with its two casinos, it still pretty much pales in comparison to Las Vegas Sands and its five casinos there. Absolutely. Uh, and the other thing is, that it just has more hotel rooms than any other company by far. It has more gaming tables. So especially as we're seeing this shift toward mass market. You're wondering who's going to get kind of that that spillover and that increase in visitation. It's probably going to be these casinos that Las Vegas Sands holds. Sure, and uh, for another company uh, that is that has really significant business here, uh, really based mostly here and then in the Philippines, is Melco, and they have gone through a bit of a shakeup recently. <laughs> uh, what's the story there? Yeah, to say the least, uh, they've got their own little bit of drama lately, but. Uh, so one of the partners, Crown, has divested itself from the company. Uh, so they'll be rebranding just to Melco Resorts and Entertainment. Uh, and along with that, they'll have a little bit more control. It sounds like they're really going to overhaul some of the properties there, some of the, just even parts of the property, changing up some of the feel of the hotel towers and whatnot. So uh, that could be really good for the company as they're shaking things up. That might be a good way for them to also bring in some new visitation that would otherwise go to some of these new resorts. Sure. And then one company, uh, the last one we'll talk about here, uh, they have a resort that's been delayed several times. I think is slated at this point to maybe open later this year or even next year. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong there, Seth. And that's with MGM. Their presence is not as significant as some of these other companies, or in terms of their business overall. I think about 20% of MGM's uh, revenue is based in Macau. So what's the story there with their Kotai uh, Resort? Yeah, so that that resort has been pushed back a few times. The latest on their website right now says second half of 2017. So we'll we'll hope to see that opens. I I was just there a couple months ago, and I mean, the resort looks great. It looks like from the outside, it looks completely finished. So I'm not quite sure what's taking so long. Uh, But it looks like a beautiful resort. And and yes, Macau right now makes up a relatively small portion of their overall revenue. But you can understand that if things are pretty much stable in Las Vegas, and that's kind of their bread and butter, by doubling their operations in Macau, it could be a pretty huge growth driver for them in 2017 and 18. Yeah, especially if the market there broadly is expanding and improving, and this trend really does continue. Um, so, a lot of these companies, uh, they will be releasing their next bout of quarterly earnings in the next uh, month or so. So, what do you think you'll be watching in the results uh, as you know these companies kind of give updates on the situation among in Macau, the status of their new resort openings, or the ones that are in process? What do you think? So we probably can expect that Las Vegas Sands will be the first one to report. Not all these companies have said when they're reporting Q1. Uh, but when they do report, that'll be interesting to see kind of what is happening with the mass market and VIP switch. Is it true that that the mass market really is rising enough to kind of over overtake what is being lost in that VIP segment? 
Uh, and also we want to see things like hotel occupancy and average daily rate. Are those really growing consistently as much as is needed? Are, do we see increased visitation that that's kind of spurring on a really robust uh, recovery in the overall gaming or is it is it maybe just increased gaming by per per spend from player? Um, and those are things that that's interesting with the, the regulation there as well. Is the government going to going to increase some regulation again because they're worried that gaming is getting out of control or is there a shift to mass market entertainment that the government really is is fond of? Yeah, I think on that note, on the regulation side, it's really important uh, for anybody who's thinking about investing in these companies or who is looking exposure, I guess, to the gaming side in Macau. You know, as prospects brighten here, are you concerned that Beijing officials ultimately come in and clamp down yet again to take the momentum out of this rally? Because you know, it was only in December that they instituted this new capital control regarding ATM withdrawals. Basically, they cut in half the amount of money that Chinese tourists could take out uh, with their popular union pay cards. And just like that, that had a huge impact on the shares of the major casino operators we're talking about here. Uh, Las Vegas Sands, uh, after that was announced, was down 13% on the day. Wind Resorts down 11%. Uh, Melco down 14%. Uh, is there anything that's always looming? Is it not this potential change where uh, you know the officials in Beijing decide, hey, you know what? There's still too much money uh, going out of China, going into areas like Macau and some of the resorts in Singapore as well, and they decide to crack down again. Yeah, I, I, that's always kind of a thing, and you keep hearing, even if it's just one sentence from an official in Beijing talking about, you know, maybe they want to crack down on companies that are are advertising gambling in mainland China, which is still legal. Or, you know, if if that's what I'm saying, if the recovery really is about entertainment and hotels, and you know, they're building some some other stuff right outside of Macau, if, if that's truly the recovery, I think that'll be really positive for the government. If it's really about gambling, maybe not so much. Sure. Uh, on the flip side of that, uh, and to wrap up our discussion here, uh, I'm sure the gaming industry is revving its engine right now, kind of anticipating the opportunities in Japan. Uh, we talked about this a little bit uh, earlier this year, the fact that uh, the government of Japan uh, essentially approved the to be approved the beginning of the process to open some integrated resorts in that country. And some of the really bullish initial forecasts put the size of the Japanese gaming market as high as $25 to $40 billion. And that's based on the popularity of gambling-like games that currently exist in the country. And some of the more conservative estimates come in maybe around five to ten billion dollars. Uh, I think the entity that ultimately holds the key to exactly how lucrative and large the market becomes is, of course, the Japanese government, and um, you know they're kind of in the process now of deciding the rules and regulations for the industry, uh, where the resorts can open, how they'll operate. But do you think companies are overly optimistic, kind of hoping for a way out, so to speak? From the volatility in, that can happen in Macau, or ultimately, how do you think sh- things will shake out for Japan? I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'd say overly optimistic. E- even on those lo- the low side of those estimates, that's a really big bump in the gaming industry. Yeah, that ten and million dollars is that's diversified. Is like a it's like a second Vegas, admittedly. A second Vegas that's in a new country, a country that you can expect some some new attention being paid to because of the 2020 Olympics coming up. So even even if it's on the low end of that, I think every every one of these companies should be should be excited about trying to get a resort there. Yep, and the the some of the comments that the management and leaders at these companies have made they give you a sense of exactly how powerful um, and how you know excited they are for this opportunity. So for example, I have Sheldon Adelson here, who's the Las Vegas Sands founder and CEO. And he's called Japan essentially the ultimate opportunity for his business going forward. And he has aims to spend 
something like ten billion dollars in that market. Uh, you know, once things really kick off. And then there's also Lawrence Ho, who is CEO at Melco, and he's basically echoed that sentiment. And he said, uh, and I quote: "This opportunity is priceless, and we'll spend whatever it takes to win." So obviously, you know these, uh, you know these leaders at these companies, these leaders of that industry, uh, you know they are they the bullishness that they're showing kind of should give investors an idea that you know once uh, we have a better idea of what the regulations will shake out to, uh, whether there are uh, limitations, for example, in uh, just as an example for in Singapore, as a permanent resident. Or a citizen, you can. There are they charge essentially an entry fee because they want to limit uh, any negative effects, I guess, that the gaming industry can have or that these uh, casinos can have uh, in that region. There's been some talks, some rumors that there might be something similar. So whether this is goes, you know, five to ten billion dollars or as big as twenty five billion dollars, as you know, the more I think optimistic people hope it will be. It's going to really depend on how some of that regulation ultimately shakes out. Uh, any other final thoughts, uh, Seth, to wrap up? I mean, talking about Singapore, I don't know if you knew this, that I actually lived and worked in Singapore for some time, and it was really interesting to be around the the casinos there and kind of see how they're really marketed toward visitors. You know, they're marketed toward these international people that are coming to stay in Singapore. Sure. And but yet they're really a crown jewel of of the island. I mean, the the Marina Bay Sands there. It's on so many of the postcards and the, the pictures of Singapore. Because it's such an iconic piece now of the of the total country, and so when you're looking at what what company might win a license in Japan, you know, PM the prime minister has already talked about, uh, you know, maybe maybe the the model in Singapore is what they need in Japan. So you look at, you know, Las Vegas Sands is obviously a a leader in the market. Yep, there you go, and. Uh, with that, you know, I think it'll be just a very, very interesting time to follow this industry, to follow these companies over the next year or two. You know, as the details behind the development in Japan uh, gets ironed out and and we get more information. But thanks again, Seth, uh, for uh, joining us today. Absolutely, thank you. Uh, Fools, uh, remember that you can reach out to the Industry Focus team via Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or send any questions to industryfocus at fool.com. People on the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear in the program. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on.